are changed by what they learn downstairs. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 26, verses 6 to 13. We're going to continue our, our series on the book of Matthew. Um, just before chapter 26, the, the two chapters before this, uh, Jesus is teaching about the end times and the, the fact that he is coming back, he is returning. And so we need to be ready. The, the chapter right before this one we're looking at, chapter 25, Jesus tells uh, three different parables all about um, the importance of being ready, staying awake so that we're ready for Jesus' return. And, and being ready means um, caring for people around us, uh, loving them in the midst of their need. Um, it also means using the things God has given us for his purposes. And that's what all the parables are about in, in chapter 25. And then, then you get to chapter 26, and the very beginning of chapter 26 uh, we see the chief priests and the elders of the people all gathering and now planning to murder, to arrest and murder Jesus. And, and so as Matthew's writing his book about Jesus, um, he, maybe he's thinking, oh, we can be getting sidetracked with, oh no, Jesus is going to die. What's, what's all this and, and everything? And, and so he, he puts this little, um, he shares this little moment here where Jesus has... Um, some time with some close friends at, uh, in Bethany. And um, I think with this passage, Matthew's reminding us how Jesus points us to what everything is about, what, what the whole book of Matthew is about, what the gospel is about, what all of life is about. So we don't get sidetracked. So listen to God's word as I read uh, from Matthew 26, starting in verse 6. It's in your order of worship. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along there. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that uh, as we think about these words that you would help us to be still. That you, by your spirit, would still our hearts before you. And we pray that uh, we would hear you speak. We pray that you would help us to see clearly. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. A little while ago, I was sitting on my couch reading a book, and um, I was really into this book. I, I, I was reading it really fast, and I think people in my family had noticed how, how into this book that I was. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm like more than halfway through it, and I'm sitting on the couch reading it, and somebody, I can't remember who it was, walked through the living room, and they're like, Dad, you're, you're really into this book. What's it about? And, and even though I was more than halfway through the book, I was like, I don't know. 
I do not know what this book is about. <laughs> Has that ever, have you ever read a book and, and been like most of the way through it and still not, been not, not been sure what the actual book was, was really about? Um, maybe not, but that, that happened to me. I mean, it's, I've, I've made reference to this book before. It's, uh, it's a book called Everything Sad is Untrue. If you haven't um, heard of it or seen it, it's worth reading, even though I wasn't quite sure what it was about. You know, um, you, you, know you get it in the end. Um, but it's, a guy named, it's by a guy named Daniel Nayeri. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. But he writes this book from the perspective of his fifth grade self. And it's just kind of this random string of all sorts of stories about his life as he grew up in Oklahoma and before that as he grew up in Iran. And, and it's stories about his his parents and his grandparents and his great-grandparents and some of them, you know, from a fifth grader telling stories, you know, you're not really sure how much is completely true, how much he just like, this is what he understood to be true, how much is legend, you know, about his ancestors and things like that. But it's just like this string of all these random stories and, and there's some, you know, wisdom in there. There's, there's some kind of funny parts in there. But, but as you're reading it, I'm just like, I'm really not sure what the point is. I'm not sure what the point is. I think that at least for judging from my own life, life can be kind of like that. Where it's just kind of the string of all of these random stories, these random stories about you know, our families or our careers, what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to, to get a hold of in life, um, or they're random stories about, about pain and loss and struggle and heartache. Um, random stories about, you know, failures, but also maybe triumphs. And, you know, as, as we look at our lives, sometimes we might be like, I'm, if, if we really were to think about it, maybe not many of us really even think about it, but if we think about it, we're like, I'm not sure what this is all about. <laughs> What's the point? What is the point? It, it, I mean, as somebody else looks at your life, do they have a clear understanding of what the point is? Or is it just a bunch of random stories? Um, here in this passage, we have maybe what seems like a random story as Jesus is heading towards the cross. This is just in the week before he goes to die. We have this kind of random story about Jesus just kind of hanging out at a friend's house and eating dinner with some friends. But I think in the midst of the story, what we have is, um, is Jesus communicating to us, this is what life is about. This is what life is about. This is what your life is meant to be about. It's meant to be about me. It's about Jesus. That's what it's all about. And there are three things in this passage, I think, that, that point to the fact that, that our story, the story of life, the story of everything, is about Jesus. Okay? Um, it's, it's a story of those who are changed by Jesus, it's a story of the surpassing worth of Jesus, and it's a story of the compelling beauty of Jesus. That's what you see here. Um, so that's what I want to go through this morning, just, just hopefully briefly. Um, as we begin the, the passage, what you see immediately, I think, is a story about those who are changed by Jesus. If you just look at the very first verse, verse 6, it says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany, first of all, Bethany is a, is a town that's really close to Jerusalem, and, and it seems like Jesus went to Bethany a lot. Actually, whenever he went to Jerusalem, he probably stayed in Bethany, maybe when he was visiting Jerusalem, or for part of the time that he was living in, uh, visiting Jerusalem. And he had friends in Bethany. You, you, you'll notice, uh, like, Lazarus was from Bethany. Mary, Martha were from, were from Bethany. Um, so he's, 
he, he's at Bethany here, and uh, he's at the house of Simon the leper. That right away, that should strike us. He's at the house of Simon the leper. They're having dinner at Simon the leper's house. Um, if you know anything about the culture at the time and, and the laws of Israel, um, you, know, you, you weren't allowed to really associate with lepers. Um, leprosy was a disease that, that there were laws that, that said, you know, it made you unclean. You were unfit for socialization with other people. You were meant to live in isolation. You had to tell people to stay away from you if you had leprosy. It was a, it was a picture of, of really uncleanness and our sin before God, really. It was a reminder to the people of how holy God is and that we need to be perfect and unblemished before him. And so if you had leprosy, you were a social outcast. You were an absolute social outcast. So it's, it's really strange that Jesus would be having dinner with a group of people in Simon the leper's house. And the only thing that I think can explain it is that Simon the leper didn't have leprosy anymore. That even though this was Simon the leper's house, actually, he had been cleansed. He had been healed. And that's the only way that people would have been eating in his house. I mean, Jesus would have moved towards lepers, but other people? The only reason a group of people would have been eating in Simon the leper's house is if he was no longer a leper. And this is the beauty here that I see is just this very simple line that, he's, that, that Jesus is at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper is that we are immediately reminded of the fact that Simon is a man who has been changed by Jesus. He's a man who's been set free by Jesus. He's a man who's been delivered from isolation and loneliness and pain because of Jesus. And I think the really cool thing is that Matthew continues to refer to him as Simon the leper. He still refers to him as Simon the leper, even though he's not a leper anymore. I wonder if Simon himself, you know, might have, you know, that, 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 that title of shame has now maybe become a badge of triumph and grace in his life. You know, is it possible that maybe he met somebody? He's like, yeah, I'm Simon the leper with a twinkle in his eye, kind of with a smirk, begging you to ask him, what, you have leprosy? No. I've been delivered. I've been healed. Jesus has made me whole. That, that, that just the, his, his, his name becomes part of his testimony, you know? Um, I think it's a beautiful thing. And, 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 and the thing is, Simon isn't the first guy who has been changed by Jesus. I mean, the whole book of Matthew is a, a, is a long list of people who have been changed by Jesus. Every single person who encounters Jesus in the midst of their brokenness is changed by him, right? There's this long list, beginning with the shepherds who the angels appear to when Jesus is born. Their lives are changed because of it. Um, the centurion, his life is changed. The, the paralytic, his life is changed. The blind men, their lives are changed. Every single person who comes into contact with Jesus is changed. That's the, the, whole, the book of Matthew is about people being changed. And this is, I think, the point of life. It's to be changed by Jesus. It's to be changed in ways that highlight the grace and love and power of Jesus. That is the point. It's the point to, to, to live my life so that I, I see the, the evidence of Jesus' fingerprints on it. 
to set me free from, from dysfunctional relationships, from bitterness, from anger, from loneliness, from addictions, is to be set free. How have you been changed? How have you been changed by Jesus? I think a lot of us, we, not, I mean, nobody really likes change that much, but, but, but for the most part, very few of us are interested or are, are thinking about that being the point of my life, <laughs> is to be changed. You realize every single one of us, we, we need change. We need to become different than we were, than we are today. And Jesus wants to make you whole. He wants to make you whole. And I think, you know, as we think about our lives, and we think about our testimony, those of us who are Christians, we, we need to, just like Simon, the leper, we, we need to be careful about shying away from the things that, that in our past maybe have been shameful, but that Jesus has saved us from, or is, or is saving us from, you know, in order to highlight his grace and power. And so we need to recognize and, and, and embrace the fact that life, my life, is about Jesus changing me. How can I say, Jesus, you know, do what you will today. Show me what needs to change. Show me maybe what, what you're using in my life to change me. And help me to trust you. So it's a story of those changed by Jesus. But I think the centerpiece of this whole passage shows us that it's a story of the surpassing worth of Jesus. In verse 7, it says, A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now, from the other Gospels, particularly from the book of John, we see the, this John describing the same thing happening, and we know from John's book, that this woman is actually Mary, Martha's sister, Lazarus's sister. This is the Mary of Mary and Martha, you know, when, when uh, Martha was like scurrying around serving and, and Mary's just sitting at Jesus's feet and, and Martha complains and Jesus is like, no, this is what she should be doing. Again, Jesus comes to her rescue, comes to her defense here. Mary, Mary must have really appreciated Jesus, you know. As the disciples are mumbling, criticizing her, judging her. What? What is she doing? This is so wasteful. We could have been using this for something good, something important. We could have sold this and given it to the poor. And Jesus says, guys, again, coming to her defense, she's done a beautiful thing. This is beautiful what she's doing. You're always going to have the poor. You're not always going to have me here with you. And in doing that, he's, he's, he's saying that he, his presence with them is more important, of greater worth than anything else. Even a legitimate thing like helping those who are in need. I mean, that seems like an important thing to be concerned about, right? This is kind of a, a, a stark thing for Jesus to say, a, a startling thing for Jesus to say. You know, guys, don't worry about the poor. You need to worry about me. You need to honor me. I mean, that's saying that he, he, is, he is of surpassing worth than, than anything else, even legitimate needs, and like people who are in need in, in specific circumstances. And that's not to say that it's not important to help those who are in need. It's not important. It's not to say that it, he's not saying that it's not important to help those who are poor, 
to help those who are starving. He's been saying that all along. He's just saying that his presence, worshiping him, honoring him, is more important than anything else. It's, it's, it's even more important than helping people in need. I, th- I think one of the things that points us to is the fact that those who are in need, and us ourselves, I mean, all of us have circumstances where we face needs of all sorts of different kinds. Um, paying attention to the presence of Jesus will satisfy me more than any other need being satisfied in my life. You know, the poor who are in need of help, what they need more than just practicals, you know, they need Jesus. They can continue to be poor, and if they have Jesus, that will be enough. And so that's one thing. But then another thing, look at what she, the, the value of what she places on Jesus. Is, is she breaks this, uh, this alabaster flask and, and pours it on him. Again, from the book of John, we know that Judas complains because he said, this could have been sold for 300 denarii. Now, 300 denarii is basically a year's worth of wages. So think about that. Think about what you make in one year. And how would you feel about taking what you make, your yearly salary, and spending, on, spending it on one thing for Jesus? That seems kind of crazy. That seems kind of radical, doesn't it? That's a lot. That's a lot. So you understand why the disciples are, are, are like, why the waste? We could have really used this. And, uh, you know, has anybody ever given you something where you're like, um, it, it's like an extravagant gift, and you're like, that was too much, that was too much. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. Have you ever said that to somebody? You shouldn't have done that. It was too much. The thing is, when she does this to Jesus, does he say that to her? No. He says, you should have done that. You know? And I think Jesus is pointing us to the fact that there is nothing, there is, there is no sacrifice, no gift that is so great that we could give him that he's not worthy of. He is of surpassing worth. No matter what we could give, no matter what we could sacrifice, he deserves it. He deserves it. And so, no matter what our needs are, Jesus is of greater worth than anything else. I, I think we can easily fall into the trap of thinking that, um, that my life, the story of my life, is about trying to meet my needs. Um, I, I have all sorts of different needs, you know? And, and it's easy for all of us to think about, like, the, the story of my life is to try to meet my needs, whether it's, you know, needs for rel- relationship or, or to be loved or, or to to have other people in my life or to, or to accomplish something great. You know, my need is to, is to, to do something with my career um, or, or to have greater notoriety or, or some things like that. We, I think we can fall into the trap that the story of my life becomes the story about me meeting my needs. And Jesus says, no, I am greater than any of your needs. I'm of surpassing worth. And I, am, and I am worth more than anything that you could give. You know? so, so that's the question. Does the way that I spend my time, my resources, does it reflect how worthy he is? Does, it the, does the way that I spend my money reflect how worthy he is? Does the way that I, I spend my, my relational capital, my emotional capital, as I you know, care for people, listen to people, sacrifice to serve people, does it 
reflect how worthy he is. My life is meant to point to the surpassing worth of Jesus. We need to think about that. Um, and so Jesus is of surpassing worth. He is God. All things were made through him and for him. He is, he, is more worth, he is of more worth than anything or anyone else because he is holy and he is perfect and he is powerful and he is righteous and he is wise. There is no one greater than him. There is nothing greater than him. But not only is he of ultimate worth, but he's also compellingly beautiful. I think that's what you see here. The, the, the crazy thing is, um, this passage, Jesus reminds us that he is of surpassing worth, that, that the story of all things is, is the story of him. He is the centerpiece. There's no sacrifice that is great enough to, to show how great he is. And yet, the incredible thing is that also in this passage, we're reminded that the story of Jesus' life, <laughs> he made it about us. As you continue reading, Jesus says, for you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment, in verse 12, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. So in the midst of this passage, as Jesus is declaring how incredibly great he is, how worthy he is, he also reminds his disciples that of, of what his life is about. He's, he's getting ready to die. Um, back in those days, when somebody, when somebody died, they would anoint the body before they buried it. And so that's why he says, she, she's anointing me before I'm buried. I mean, it's actually, it's actually imp important, it's profound here that she's anointing him now because um, they would anoint bodies of the dead before they buried him, but they wouldn't do that in the case of a criminal. So they wouldn't have done that in Jesus' case. And so she's anointing him. And, and as she anoints him, he, he reminds them, this points to the point of my life. I am going to die. He's been saying that over and over again over the past several chapters. Guys, I'm going to die. Guys, I'm going to die. That's the whole point. I'm going to die. And, and the reason he's going to die is to love us, to pay the price for our sin. He's going to die in order to rescue us from the consequences of our sin and our selfishness. He's going to die to rescue us from the brokenness of our sin, to make us whole. As he says, you know, she's, she's doing this to prepare me for burial. Guys, I'm going to die. He reminds them of his humility, of his sacrificial love that he's about to perform for them and for us. And so we're not only reminded of the surpassing worth of Jesus, we're reminded of, we're reminded of the compelling beauty of Jesus that he would, even though he deserves to, to have us all bow down to him, he comes into our world to lay down his life, to embrace us and love us and, and bring us close to him so that we would be forgiven. Some of the most uh, beautiful and moving stories are about sacrificial love. Yeah, for, for those of you who like to read or like to watch movies or TV shows, have you noticed like most of the time when, when, when we are really moved, it's often because someone sacrifices themselves for somebody else in love, right? Whether it's a, a mom sacrificing herself for her child or a soldier sacrificing himself for another group of soldiers that, that they have this, you know, bond 
of, of love and friendship for. Or, you know, Black Widow sacrificing herself for Hawkeye in the Avengers. You know, we're, we're moved when we see this, these moments of, of self-sacrifice out of love to, to save someone else, right? And I think the reason that, that that universally moves all of us, the reason that, 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 that storytellers return to that trope over and over and over again is because embedded within each of our hearts is an appreciation for the ultimate story of, of loving sacrifice. That's what the story of all of history is about. It's about those who have, have broken our relationship with God, who have rebelled against God, and yet God sends his son into our world in order to live and die to rescue us, to save us, to love us. And I think we, we see Jesus even referencing that here, right? As he's preparing to die. This is what your life is meant to be about. This is what my life is meant to be about. It's meant not only to point to the to life-changing power of Jesus, and not only to the point to the, to the surpassing worth of Jesus, but also to point to the compelling beauty of Jesus and his love for me. How does my life point to the loving sacrifice of Jesus? How, do, how does the way that I respond to, to heartache and difficulty point to the fact that Jesus has given everything for me and that I'm loved? You know, how, does the, how does the joy and laughter in my life in the midst of, of pain and heartache and difficulty point to the, to the compelling beauty of the gospel of Jesus' love for me? Do others see a difference in me because of what Jesus has done? Because of the grace that I've experienced? Do people notice a difference in you? Is your, is your life a story of the compelling beauty of Jesus? There have been some um, rare books or movies that I've seen where, where it's been hard for me to figure out what it's about, like that book that I read. Um, but you know what's really frustrating for me is when I watch a movie or a show and I, I know what it's about, but I have a hard time figuring out who to root for. Have you ever seen something like that? I mean, um, I'm a big Clint Eastwood fan, or I used to be. I don't really watch that many Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood movies anymore, but I used to love a good Clint Eastwood um, Western, you know? And uh, Clint Eastwood, would, would, you know, he specialized on these kind of movies, the, the idea of the anti-hero, where the, the person who is the hero of the story is also broken and ugly in some ways, and you can kind of relate to them, but they're the hero. Um, but there's this one movie I saw that maybe you've seen it too. It was about 30 years ago. It's called Unforgiven. And uh, it's a really highly acclaimed movie. Uh, it's a Western. And, and, um, and I watched that movie and I walked out of the theater and I was, just I was just depressed because the movie was about this really, really bad guy who gets killed in the end, but he gets killed by another guy who's just like really bad too. Sorry. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it doesn't spoil it that much. I mean, you know people are going to die in a Western. I just spoiled it because they're just, I'm, I'm saving you the trouble. It's, 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 it's brutal. 
But, uh, but it's like, I mean, as you watch this, you're just like, there's no one worth rooting for. There's no real hero here. As we live life, I think if we only look around at ourselves and the people around us, um, it can be discouraging because there are moments of goodness, but there are no real heroes here. There are none. Like I said, there are, there are moments of goodness where you can be like, oh, look what that person did. But for the most part, any hero that any of, us, any of us have ever looked up to, if you really kind of get a peek into their lives and sometimes you find out like later, you know, it's, it's a huge disappointment. We're all anti-heroes, you know. But I think this passage reminds us that there is one true hero worth rooting for, one true hero worth worshiping, one true hero who is not only worthy of our surrender and our submission and our worship, but also one who loves us perfectly, so perfectly that he sacrificed himself for us. He is beautiful in a way that draws us to him. That is what life is about. That is what our lives are meant to be about, to celebrate him, to to rejoice in him, to share him in the ways that he's touched our lives and changed us. It's about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would open our eyes to to what our lives should be about. It can be so easy to get sidetracked, to think about um, just our own agenda, our own desires, our own needs. Father, we pray that you would help us to focus in on the one true hero of the story, of all of history, the one true hero of each of our lives. Father, we pray that you would help us to take advantage of the opportunity that we we can be changed by him. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.